1: Hello, and welcome to new books on mindfulness and spiritual practice. This is your host, Curti Schoen. Today with us is writer um, and book author Barbara Bonner, who just published the beautiful book with the title Inspiring Generosity. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you so much. I'm very honored to be here. Well, we are very glad that you took the time to talk to us. Why don't you, why don't we begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: I, uh, I started my career a far cry from writing a book on generosity. I started as an art historian, uh, specializing in 17th century painting, uh, and then went from that into a career in museums and in New York and discovered in that museum world quite to my astonishment that I really loved working with philanthropists who uh, wanted to make a difference, um, first in the museum world, and then we branched out into the world of education and uh, holistic health. Uh, but it was really that initial spark of working with philanthropists, which I never had done before, and then raising money myself, uh, and really Getting to have a very up close view of people who are genuinely moved by, uh, their ability to give and make a difference. Uh, so I went on to become vice president at Bennington College and then at Kripalu here in the Berkshires and I've had my own consulting practice for many years. Uh, but the book was something of a surprise. It came out of the blue. I, about five years ago, had the chance to really, um, Dig in deep to the subject of generosity. I wanted to research it. I wanted to learn more about what it is and what it isn't and how it manifests in lives. And uh, so I really uh, gave it a good deal of time just for my own pleasure. I never really thought this was a book. I was doing it because I enjoyed it, which I guess is how lots of books start. Um, and then it just grew and grew. It seemed to have a life of its own. People would send me wonderful stories of people whose lives had been transformed, wonderful poems and quotations. And, uh, and then two years ago, I really began to think at people's urging that there just might be a book there. And so I gave myself a sabbatical to really just put on my sweatsuit and go upstairs to the third floor every day and see if I could bring that book to life and so that's the book that you're looking at now gertie sort of a a buffet of uh fourteen stories of people I call generosity heroes and thirty wonderful poems and then about a hundred quotations that move me personally
1: mm-hmm. so what um what made you uh what made What sparked your interest first in the world of philanthropy, which has so much to do with giving in the first place, was there a moment in time when you felt, oh, this is something that really speaks to me? Yes, well, it
0: actually started really with fundraising uh in the museum world. I was charged more and more, you know, as you climb up the ladder in the museum world, you get farther and farther away from the art and more and more to management and ultimately to fundraising. Uh, and it completely astonished me that I really enjoyed it, um, mostly because I was working with uh individuals, with people who wanted to make a difference, um, quite often with uh, people who had come to this country with very little and then, you know, made a great success and wanted to repay or give back in some way. Or people who were really on fire with the mission of an institution, um, but uh, the spirit of 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 genuine generosity as opposed to philanthropy and we can talk about those differences, uh, I was really inspired by. And um so a lot of my career has been in working with uh very generous donors um who who just often very selflessly uh want to make a difference.
1: Yes, you say that in the introduction to your book, uh, when you say true generosity is a different matter than raising money. Tell us more about that. Well, I
0: think, uh, you know, our, our world of, of raising money has changed a lot. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's become somewhat formulaic. Uh, a lot of, of fundraising is just, um, uh, is 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 quite impersonal and really is just rolling out a formula for how we uh raise money to reach ever increasing goals every year uh, and I certainly don't mean to put down fundraising it's what i I still do I still take on clients and uh and fundraising is the engine that keeps our nonprofits alive, our hospitals and educational organizations and arts institutions um and but it's really a science now it's quite um you know this is how you do it, <laughs> and what I'm interested in and what I've always been able to do in that field is work with individual donors uh who who really want to have the conversation about um what do you want to be remembered for? What has meaning in your life? Uh, how can we work together to uh, to bring something into being that has real meaning for you? Uh, those are the conversations I've loved and those are the people I've loved working with. I think philanthropy, a lot of it is really what I call in the book a, a relationship of exchange. You know, I'll I'll give you a million dollars and you'll put my name on a building or you will uh, implement a certain program. Now, that can be to the benefit of, of, of great institutions. I'm not putting it down, but it is a relationship of exchange. Uh, I think generosity uh, really doesn't... Care too much about being applauded or acknowledged uh, the truly generous what I call the generous angels uh, step forward and say, What can I do? How much do you need? How can we work together to change things uh, so I think there is a difference, and I think that it it uh, you know the engine for generosity really is an open heart and wanting to make a difference in the world, not um, if you can uh, be applauded for your gift or hang out with influential people or uh, be deemed uh you know important and famous
1: mm-hmm. when you said um a lot of oh was some of the what really gripped you about the the work was to talk to people about what has meaning in their lives. was that a part of their motivation?
0: oh yes absolutely uh for for certainly not for everyone um but uh, oh yes, for many people in all fields, you know whether it's um working for uh, cures for diseases, somebody whose life has been struck by disease, they realize that they've been given great good fortune and they want to make a difference in that research uh or working towards a cure um or people who uh have benefited from who had no money and and because of you know scholarship assistance or uh someone who made it possible for them to go to college uh then when they become uh wealthy or well off they they want to make a difference in the world of education um, so um i i think we we see it everywhere you know and and i also really want to emphasize in the book that um Thank okay. you. Generosity can be very quiet uh, our in our world our contemporary culture it's it's given a lot of uh press it's it's um, it's a little bit noisy it's really we we talk about the the great billionaires and giving away their fortunes, but I think the people down the street who simply are committed to living generous lives are the ones who are really important to me and so I tried to Kind of light on them in the book as you saw there are, there are fourteen different uh really very short stories of people I call generosity heroes and none of them are famous, only one of them uh, is wealthy uh they're just people committed uh through um, what I called sort of a bolt of generosity that came into their life—an incident, a word, or something that they read or saw—their lives changed, and uh, and generosity moved front and center into their lives.
1: So there was a bolt of generosity for many of them. Yes, that it came to them as a, as a sudden, as a as a particular experience, or. Um or uh, an inspiration rather than um, something uh, long-developing? Yes,
0: well, you know, I mean, I think it was an inspiration. I've always been fascinated by inspiration, first in the arts and then really the power of inspiration. But yes, these 14 stories are of people who... uh, you know, moments of inspiration are really fascinating to me. We, we can't create them. Uh, they happen often, often in, in just going through an ordinary day. Suddenly something swoops in. You hear of, of something happening to someone or, or you, uh, read a short story or a poem and it suddenly changes the way you, look at the world the way you stand in the world. I mean it, often it doesn't take much. That's really my point. It's not a, a great, you know, reading a huge tome on philanthropy. It can just be something very very moving. I mean I I think for instance of the stories of of the people who ran into the bomb site of the Boston Marathon. You know, they they didn't think that through. These were people just acting out of very generous hearts to go in and see what they could do. How could they help? It didn't take long. It happened in a split second. Um, and, uh, And most people who have an experience like that feel like the lucky ones, that something has been given to them, something's been put in their path that allowed their lives to open up.
1: So you're saying to be open for these moments of inspiration that can be very brief. Yes, we can't create
0: them, but we can be open to them um and i I think uh you know it it sounds almost like a cliche, but I think really an open heart if you can go through life with more of an open heart and open consciousness, you're aware of the moments that are happening that could often just pass you by uh so that's why I use the inspiration the word inspiration in the title Inspiring Generosity. I think it it I think those moments can be just transformative.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, tell us a little bit about those heroes of generosity that you are showcasing. You said they are often more the quiet heroes. Um what made you want to feature them?
0: Well, you know, I don't think there's a, a – I have great admiration for Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and George Soros and many other billionaires who are making a difference. But I don't think that that was not really my calling to write about them. Uh I'm interested in, in the quality of generosity itself, not in what acts people are doing. Um So, yes, these were uh, stories that came to me of uh, people just going about their uh, ordinary lives. Uh, Would you like me to talk about some of them? Maybe give you a little view of some of them? Which one is your well, favorite one well, you know they're you that's like their children i can i can't <laughs> I can't possibly decide among my children, but uh they um they've all become so close to me in their in in their impact you know and and um some of them actually we do keep up a correspondence, they're all so happy with the book. it's really lovely um well, I think um. And you know these are ordinary moments I'm talking about. These are there are no symbols crashing here, but uh, their lives were changed. The, fir- the first uh, first story in the book is of a man named Sasha Dichter, who worked actually in the area of philanthropy in in New York at the Acumen Fund. And Sasha was taking the train home to Westchester one evening, as he always did, and. In the train car, a beggar came on the car, um, saying that he was collecting money for, and food for the homeless. For those of us who've spent a lot of time in New York, we know that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, everyone was looking away and saying no, including Sasha. And, uh, then he got off the train and he realized really in a flash, and he wanted, as he said, to stop saying no. He wanted to stand in another place. Uh, he thought that he was using being smart, uh, instead of really living through his heart. Uh, and so he determined for a month, uh, sort of made a bargain with himself for a month. He would say yes to all requests, whether it's mail solicitations or a street musician or a beggar or he would just always say yes for a month. And um, it was December, and so he got a lot of requests for money in the mail, as we do at the end of the year. Uh, But he said that after a few weeks, he really began to feel like a generous person. And he realized that it wasn't about the money at all. It was about, as he says, opening a door that had been too closed for him for too long. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, the, at the end of the month, he, um, are you still there?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. We had a <laughs> and, hiccup. Uh, at,
0: at the, at the end of the month, he found that his station of his life really changed, uh, in very significant ways with his family and his work. And, um, it made a, it made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. You know, so it's a simple story of a man getting on a train. But uh his life did change rather dramatically and and he knew it. Um, I also tell the story of uh, Betty Lonergan, who was um Betty was the author of two books. She had a very successful career in advertising. Um and yet she was at a real crossroads in her life. She'd lost her job. Her investments had all gone downhill as they did in 2008. Her father had died and she'd become an empty nester. Uh, and Betty went to the movies one night and she saw the movie Julie and Julia uh, about uh Julie Powell's culinary adventures as she cooked her way through Julia Child's Art of French Cooking, one recipe each day and then blogging about it. And Betty stood in the kitchen the next morning and realized in a flash how could she be of service in a way that it would allow her to inspire a larger audience. So if she took half of the inheritance she got from her father, which was $75,000. She took half of that and decided to give away $100 every day for a year to an organization that she would research and then blog about. Um, the Huffington Post called it 365 love letters to the world. Yeah. Um, and she called it 365 days of putting my money where my mouth is. Mm-hmm. Uh And you know, like all the the subjects of the stories in the book, she didn't feel that she was doing anything special or virtuous or noteworthy. Uh, She felt lucky that she was able to do it, that it had been put in her path, and it changed her uh the really being in touch with all those organizations realizing that was in in her power to make just a small difference uh and being outer directed you know instead of when we're all going through a crisis we tend to go so deep inside and think that our our little world is the whole world um but it opened her uh to the world in in really wonderful ways and and she's just the best writer and she's just so um heartfelt and funny and lovely person so it was fun to write about her i'm grateful that she came into my life
1: mm-hmm. so you uh, really got to know many of those heroes on a deeper level
0: well, you know there are in interviews as you well know, uh an interview can be interesting and then uh you can also have a real connection to that person and and I feel a real connection with with Betty. Um I really probably shouldn't sing her out, single her out because they are all just astonishing people. All, all fourteen of them. One of them, uh, our local state representative, uh, Steve Pignatelli, is actually giving a book party for the book in Boston tomorrow night. So we've become something of a family. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Tell us a little more about your heroes. Who else is in the book?
0: Oh, there's a a wonderful eighty um, three year old nurse, Mary Donnelly, who lives on Block Island. Uh, Mary's become something of a legend. She's the longest working employee of the state of Rhode Island. She's been a public health nurse on the island for 55 years, and there is no doctor on the island. Uh, and most health care delivery is done through house calls. Um, so when the population of Block Island goes down to about a 1,000 people after all the wealthy second homeowners and vacationers leave on Labor Day, uh, Mary's responsible for everyone's health. Uh, and unemployment can go up to 27%, 28% during the winter months. So a lot of these residents have come to rely on what's called the Mary D. Fund, and Mary raises... What in the world of big philanthropy is a tiny amount, she raises $50,000 a year in small individual gifts from people who have heard about her work, and um, she makes grants to the people who are in real need, who can't pay their fuel bill, uh, who can't pay their rent, uh, can't pay health care bills. And as Mary said, as all the heroes do, I work with my heart instead of my head. and she feels that if the others do, that, that she's been given the gift in being able to uh, raise and give away money for people in need. So uh, she's also quite a character. So um, it's uh, it's but that's a whole life. You know, a woman who's 83 and has been doing this for 55 years um, is quite a study in the well-lived life, I think. Mm-hmm. So those are those are probably three of the the first three that would come to mind. You know, our state rep was giving a party on Wednesday. Um, well, it might be interesting an interesting story to tell. He's such a wonderful man. And when I started to write this book, I I went to Smitty Pignatelli and I said, "So tell me what you think about generosity." Because he's a politician, he's not, you know, a uh, he's not in the world of mindfulness. He's not in the world of philanthropy. But I know him to be an extraordinarily caring man. Uh, I've certainly learned about, about public service from him. And so I said, "Tell me what you think about generosity, and tell me maybe there are some people I should talk to in the area." And only after many meetings did he reluctantly. Uh, Tell a story, which I'd heard other people tell, but he did not like to shine the light on himself, but it happened, uh, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, he was feeling particularly, uh, unable to help, as we all did, really helpless. What, what could we do to make a difference? You know, do you go down there? Do you send a check to the Red Cross? What do you do? Uh, and so a few months after the hurricane, he volunteered his Christmas vacation and went down and was doing just all kinds of jobs that came up that needed to be done. Uh, I mean, this is a state politician going fifteen hundred miles to work with strangers. It was a wonderful act, and he was one afternoon working on fixing bicycles. And a man came in, Stanley Stewart, who engaged him in conversation. Mentioned that he lived in the ninth ward, had had lost his house. Um, his family of eight all lived in this house. So they they nearly perished, um, but they managed to get up to the roof. And it was one of the many stories that Smitty heard. But then after that evening, he decided to go and look him up in the Ninth Ward and visited him in his FEMA trailer. Uh, and. And through a long series of uh events, over the next six months, Smitty raised several hundred thousand dollars, came back to Berkshire County, got twenty-five very skilled workers. They all set off for New Orleans and rebuilt Stanley Stewart's house for his family. Uh And in one week, I should say, which is kind of astonishing, too. Um, and each one of those 25 workers who went felt like the lucky one. Their lives had changed. They all said nothing was the same afterwards. Uh, so it unlocks something in in our, ourselves, I think, to be able to open to a need and simply step forward and offer what we can.
1: hmm So many of the examples you're writing about are people who keep giving. It's not one act of generosity. It's something that becomes a lifelong practice. And you say in your book that um, giving or generosity is a muscle that needs exercising. Mm -hmm. How would you say do you learn to practice generosity when you're just at the beginning, and haven't been struck by inspiration the way many of your examples have been, I think it almost takes
0: care of itself. You know it uh to live a generous life at the beginning of that path uh, it just to be very simple minded about it it feels so rewarding you feel like you feel like the beneficiary um, all of the people in the book would say that all of the uh philanthropists that i've known feel lucky and fortunate to be able to give in some way uh and then once i think you've tasted that uh why would you want to close your fist and uh go back to a more self-centered life you know generosity is at the heart of all of the world's religions it certainly is at the top of the list in buddhism uh that is the, that is the first uh and it it i think that is because it's what literally opens us up to the world in a different way
1: you um one of the quotes in the book and it made me think about it when you just talk, told the story um of Hurricane Katrina one of the quotes that i found very impressive and i can't remember who who created it was uh, if you feel helpless go and help somebody yes yeah.
0: I, I, I think it was Mother Teresa. Mm. Um, or it might have been Aung San Suu Kyi. I should know that. But yes, it's true. You know, when we're feeling helpless, we really, it's a, it's a deeply lonely feeling. Uh, we feel locked into ourselves. Uh, we feel as if there's no one there, uh, to lend a hand. If you simply turn that around, uh, and realize how how much we have to give whether it's just in in caring or a smile or concern or caretaking uh generosity has very little to do with money uh there are all kinds of ways that that we can uh be generous in the world but yes turning turning it outside of ourselves if you if you are feeling helpless help someone i think it's a wonderful quote
1: mm-hmm and you uh, you just said it there's so much so many different things we can give and one of them being attention mm-hmm.
0: well that's a great gift you know particularly in this world of multitasking and uh and splitting our attention into a thousand pieces uh to Truly give your presence, uh, to someone is a great gift. We all know what it feels like when you're, you're talking to someone or you j- just met someone and you feel everything else around you stop. That this person is just completely, uh, locked into you and, and what it is you have to say and who you are. And it's a wonderful gift to be able to communicate that, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh too in your book that al- altruism is a part of the human genetic makeup. Can you say more about that? Well, there're just so many really wonderful
0: uh there's so much scientific work going on right now investigating altruism, uh really another word for generosity. Uh there in in many many of our large universities at at Stanford uh, at Stony Brook, at Berkeley, uh, at Notre Dame, there's a whole division, uh, on the science of generosity. Really studying, uh, a number of questions. First of all, are human beings inherently generous? And the research seems to point uh at this stage pretty convincingly to yes. And then the neuroscientists studying what what parts of the brain light up when we're engaged in a generous act. That's very interesting. They uh they are all all the pleasure centers associated with um eating and sexual pleasure. They're the same ones that light up when you either are engaged in a generous act or witnessing one. Um, and then, you know, what what uh, hormones are, are actually secreted uh, in the experience of generosity, particularly oxytocin, uh, finding oxytocin levels are extremely different uh, in people who are engaged in a generous act or observing one. So there, there's a, apparently um, a biological basis.
1: Tell us about uh, oxytocin. What does it do? oxytocin it's
0: really a, a pleasure um a pleasure giving uh substance in our bodies and and also dopamine uh you know which is and now I'm not a scientist so I'm really only just noting that these studies exist I really can't explain them um, as i say in the book it was very interesting when i just was starting the research and starting reading um Uh, I was invited to a small conference in Zurich uh, by the Mind and Life Institute um, and hosted by the Dalai Lama. And the audience consisted, and the speakers consisted of neuroscientists, economists, and Buddhist teachers. I mean, imagine how fascinating those conversations were mm-hmm. and the subject really was altruism you know are we naturally altruistic by nature well of course there was no definitive answer it was the point of it was the conversations um and they were quite wonderful and because the Dalai Lama was hosting it they were also just tremendous fun and just mm-hmm. very very lively and engaged and um you know, that was so it was interesting that was um uh, in two thousand ten uh in April, just exactly four years ago and and coming back from that conference, I really thought you know i think I think maybe we might just think about a book here, <laughs> so that was definitely definitely one of the pivotal moments mm-hmm. you know, but my book is a simple book of offerings it's not any any great theory, it's really offerings for people who want to taste. Uh, what generosity is in other people's lives. Mm
1: -hmm. It's inspirational. I hope so. (laughs) So you said basically um, that when we go back to the quote of when you feel helpless, help someone. And when you do engage in the act of giving, that it makes you feel good on some level. So Mm -hmm. you could basically even say, even when you're sad or anxious or depressed, go out and help someone. And that in itself could be an antidote for just negative feelings in general. So basically, instead of eating or whatever it is we're doing to uh, do away with sad feelings, we could go and help someone instead.
0: It would be wonderful. And that I think that ties in with uh, generosity as a practice and getting better at it over time. You know, if we can learn to flip that switch so that instead of uh, having a drink or another piece of chocolate cake, we can really think, oh, this isn't all about me. I don't need to just really focus on me here. Let's try and turn this out into the world and and uh, see if there's something I might do to somebody who is probably feeling worse than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not you know, putting this forth as a uh, cure for depression, but I think in general, in our in our just malaise uh, and sometimes our uh, disconnectedness, um, it 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 does provide a connectedness to uh, immediately connect to other people.
1: Yes, which brings us to the word spiritual. Um, would you say that giving or generosity is a form of spiritual practice? I think
0: it is. Uh, uh, I think it's sort of a sleuth, uh spiritual practice. Many people would deny that it's a spiritual practice, but I think that's what they're engaged in. You know, after all, magnanimous, the word magnanimous really means great spirit. Uh Yes, you're aware of something else operating in your life other than just, you know, the putting one foot in front of the other in your day. Uh and we all reach a certain point in life when I think um, it becomes more and more about meaning. Uh really what is the meaning of our lives? What 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 is it that we want to contribute to the whole human stream of life? Uh quite often for people uh, that's when they become awakened to some form of generosity. And you know, in speaking with, uh, generous people or wealthy philanthropists, uh, one of the questions I often ask is, what do you want to be remembered for? You know, it's not just you're writing a check at the end of each year to your favorite organization, although that's certainly a good thing to do. But what do you really want to be remembered for? Well, that question implies that you have to think about what has meaning in my life? What do I, what do I want to pass on, uh, to others, um, uh, after my own life? So I think it is, I think it is a very spiritual quality.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that kept Popping up in my mind as a question, and I don't know if or how it relates to this, um, is working with nonprofits. Um, So many nonprofits do are in such dire need for money and for support, and there often is that atmosphere of lacking something because so many people can compete for only a limited amount of funds or a limited amount of things to be given Um, you've been in this world for for so long do you feel that there is a shift there uh, and that is just kind of a I don't know just a spontaneous thought uh, that there is more of a development from that focus on things lacking towards generosity or is that something that's not even really Worth entertaining?
0: Well, I think that, you know, I live in uh, Berkshire County, Massachusetts, where there are so many cultural institutions. We have wonderful museums and Tanglewood and Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival and lots and lots of wonderful social service organizations, universities. Uh, And I think that. Don't really know how to tackle it. I don't think. Uh, I, I think people will always be moved to support those organizations. But you're right. The I think the the need that we hear about and really feel most poignantly is probably in social service organizations. Um, You know, after the meltdown, the economic meltdown in 2008, people tended to pull their giving away from museums and uh, symphony orchestras and operas and museums and, and to put it into social service organizations where it was really helping people who are hungry and poor and in dire straits. I think that's lessened now that things have gotten a little bit easier um but it's a really it's a it's a very broad social question uh you know other other countries handle charitable giving differently there's more government support um you know small uh non profits really depend upon private support totally and so if you're lucky enough to be able to make choices, how do you make those choices? Is it better to give a small amount to ten charities that that really matter to you or to give a greater amount to two charities um, it should it be to people who are neediest or if you really love opera more than anything is it just self serving to give to opera or is it okay? These are all very personal questions um, but uh You know, ultimately at the end of the month, if you look at your, at your, uh, checkbook or your bank statement online, it's a pretty good snapshot of how you're living your life and where you're, where you're putting your discretionary dollars. Uh, so I, I offer these offerings really just to give people a little bit more attention, uh, to the difference they can make
1: how would you consult people when they say i have only so much dollars to give um what what shall i do with them how how do i go about selecting the right cause for me you know i think it's i don't think it's as objective
0: as people like to make it people do say you know consult this website consult that website well that's good you certainly want to give to an organization that is um Honest and forthright, and that uh, has a mission that they believe in and will really act upon. Uh, but ultimately, it's what's important to you. I think uh, it's a, it's a very very personal decision, and and also I think we really have to acknowledge that gener- generosity is not just about those gifts. I mean, uh, I'm such a fan of all the people who volunteer their incredible time and caring and caretaking. Uh, there are, you know, just some real angel volunteers who work with hospice, who work with hospitals, who work with um, literary uh, centers to teach literacy, um, social service organizations. There are all so, so many forms of generosity that um, I I don't get hung up on how should you spend those dollars. I think I'm more interested in wh- what what has value in your life. Let's talk about what has real meaning to you first. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh going back to that idea of giving as a spiritual practice, what does spirituality mean to you? My goodness.
0: Um well, it's at the center of my life. I um uh, I Moved into a strong meditation practice and st- Buddhist study uh, uh, 12 years ago, and so that has really become uh, quite central to who I am. Um, but it's simply what I do. I have a I have a strong sitting practice. And um, I've been lucky enough to be involved with the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. And so I've, over the last five years, done a lot of studying. Uh, but I don't wear it on my sleeve. Uh, it's simply how I live my life. Uh, and... Ultimately, I think that's what spirituality really is. It's not how you are you know sitting on your cushion far away with nobody bothering you uh it's really what do you take into the world and and what are the values that are the engine that drive you?
1: That is a beautiful way to put it. Oh thank you, <laughs> yeah, to really look at your whole life rather than a spiritual practice or, or or a way of thinking about the world, but to really make it about your whole life, I, I really like that. Well, I think it's true, don't you? I, I mean, I find
0: in in all now everybody wants to talk about mindfulness, mm-hmm. but so much of it is talking about mindfulness as a very segmented part of our lives. You know, do we meditate at work? Do we meditate in the morning? Um, but not. How do we make all the decisions of our day? What is is that bedrock underneath us that really drives all the decisions about how we live our lives, how we spend our time? How we engage with others, uh, how we handle the really tough times—you know, when we're when we're furious at something and things are going wrong. How do we handle those? It, it's it's uh, it's not just some sort of beatific moment in which everything's going peacefully, mm-hmm. uh, as you well know. You work you work in this field. You're engaged in the field of mindfulness as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I uh, what you said earlier that. Uh, it's so easy to get hung up on the word and the and what and sort of the hipness of it, um, mm-hmm. and it's easy to sort of get caught up in the uh, just the doldrums of it. And it's so much harder to actually do it and and stay with it and practice it in in everyday life without talking about it. <laughs>
0: Yes, I think so, too. (laughs) I think so, too.